Victory family. Hey, guys. Um, hey, we got the whole Victory family with us today, like everybody. So, hey, let's give it up for all of our family at Hamilton Mill, all the family in Midtown. What's up, guys, as well as everybody online. We got people from Bahamas, Congo, and China today. Come on, let's give it up one more time. Hey, guys. Hey, so happy Thanksgiving. Um, for those of you overseas, not so much, because who knows if you're doing that or not. But uh, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Uh, you know, my family, we, we are super thankful. We are thankful for you, for your families. We're thankful for um, the leaders here. We're thankful for those who volunteer and serve and give their lives on the weekend. We're, we're thankful for the staff here. Um, it is a season of thankfulness. And there's actually an event that I'm really thankful for that I wanna tell you about really quickly. Um, if you uh, were here, it the time of transition three months ago, if you can believe it or not, we're already three months into Summer and I stepping in as the senior pastors here at Victory. And if you were here for that transition service, um, you heard the announcement that uh, Pastor Dennis and Colleen, the founding pastors here at Victory, were taking a well-deserved, long overdue sabbatical, three-month sabbatical, to kind of step back and get rest, recharge, get a fresh vision. And so here we find ourselves three months later. And so next weekend, everybody say next weekend. Next weekend. All right, so next weekend, as part of the service, right before the sermon, uh, Summer and I are gonna take a few minutes uh, with Pastor Dennis and Colleen as they step back into the life of the church, and we're gonna talk about some of the things they've been doing, some of the things they are doing, and some of the things they're going to be doing inside and outside the church moving forward. So I'm pumped for that. So uh, make sure you're here for that. Make sure you tune in for that online as well. All right, so, but for today, all right, for today, here's, here's the big truth, all right? Here's the big truth. This may come as a surprise to some of you. We're getting to know each other a little bit today. Um, but I am not, like, I'm not really like a big Christmas song guy. I'm not like a big Christmas decoration guy. In fact, uh, Summer, she likes to call me the Grinch. I get called the Grinch a lot in Christmas time, um, which I take offense to. Because it's, it's not that I'm anti-Christmas decoration, an anti-Christmas song. I just think they have their proper place, right? From December 24th to December 25th, and you pack it up and you get it out, right? Uh, <laughs> but, no, but here's the deal. But it, it, the, we got to have rules, people. Like we, or else it just all falls into disorder, right? right? Like people putting up their Christmas trees in October, playing songs in July. Like, what are we doing? What are we doing? At the very least, we got to respect the turkey. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just kind of my rule, right? Like, to the people putting their trees up, like, in February. Um, you know, you got to respect the gobbler, and he brings the, the mac and cheese with him. You know, that's, that's the old tale. He puts in this, you know, sack, and he climbs down the chimney every Thanksgiving, and he brings you mac and cheese. Um, and, uh, you know, growing up, growing up, my family didn't like do all the big stuff. I'm sure that kind of plays into this, but they, we didn't do all the big things. Um, but what we did, uh, we, we would always take a tree from our yard. Uh, we had like a bunch of evergreens. I'm sure people thought we were deforesting every year, uh, but we always took a tree from our yard and we bring it into the living room and we would put the angel, the same angel on top that the dog chewed 10 years ago and we'd put it on top and we'd have the big multicolor Christmas bulb, you know, those, that string of lights. And my mom would always bring out uh, the same family Christmas nativity scene, you know, like the, the one with the real straw top that was slowly balding because a little bit was falling out every year, nativity pattern baldness. And, um, and then we would, at our dinner table for that month, we would set out the four Advent candles. And some of y'all aren't really familiar with that, but that was, that was a tradition we grew up in. And so the four Advent candles, we would put them out and every Sunday leading up to Christmas, we would light one of the candles. We would do the same thing in our services. And whenever we would light the candle, we'd have like a little scripture reading. And as much as my parents, I'm sure, tried to explain it to me, tried to make it real, like here's what the Advent candles mean. This is what Advent is. This is what we're doing. Um, as a kid, all you know is one thing. Right? Come on, somebody. Like, as you, as you light each candle, there's a Christmas countdown happening. Three, two, one, presents. <laughs> Present, right? But if we're being really honest, this year doesn't really feel normal, does it? Right? Like, can normal in 2020 go in the same sentence? Is that allowed? I don't think it is. In fact, I was driving uh, this last week with my son, Isaac, he's 11, and he said, Dad, 
this has been a tough year, hasn't it? And I was like, yeah, Isaac, this actually has been a tough year. And I'm just telling you, when, when an 11-year-old starts to notice that it's been a tough year, it's been a tough year. And like many of you, um, we, we lost a family member this year. Um, we've had to have physical distance between us and many of the people that we love. Um, there are many who are even streaming right now in the Victory family who we have not seen for months, and we miss you. We really do. And political tension like we haven't seen in a generation, racial tension like we haven't seen in a generation, and millions living in fear and strained friendships, stress out the roof, like nothing is normal right now. And because everybody's playing Christmas music stupid early this year, um, I was listening to a song um, last week and it was a song that I've heard so many times, right? Um, it was uh, We Need a Little Christmas by Johnny Mathis. It's the song that you don't think you know, but you actually know. Uh, we need a little Christmas right this very minute. You know, my wife was here. She would kill it with karaoke, but we're not doing that today. <sighs> but something in the lyrics caught me. And so I actually Googled it. I, I looked it up. And here's the lyrics to that song. Here's some of the lyrics to that song. Haul out the holly, put up the tree before my spirit falls again. Fill up the stocking. I may be rushing things, but deck the halls again now. For we need a little Christmas right this very minute. And you jump ahead. For I've grown a little leaner, grown a little colder, grown a little sadder, grown a little older. For we need a little music, need a little laughter, need a little singing ringing through the rafter. We need a little Christmas now. And in a time when it seems like everybody's growing a little colder and a little sadder and a little older, doesn't it seem like we need a little Christmas right now? Whatever that may mean. In in a time, you know, when we're putting up our trees quicker and playing the Christmas music louder and the Hallmark movies are hitting sooner, and I'm being called a Grinch earlier in the year than I ever have in my entire marriage. It feels like we're looking for something, doesn't it? It feels like, we're ser- it feels like everybody's searching for something. Here's what I'll say. It feels like we're searching for hope. It feels like we're searching for hope. It feels like we're saying, God, could this tough year somehow turn around? Come on, I, I hear the cry. I, I, I see the, the, the social media posts and what's underneath almost all of them is this thing of like, God, you made promises to me. I read this thing. I read the scriptures and I'm like, what in the world is happening? And God, I feel like you said things about my past, about my present, about my future. And I, the things have happened this year. I was going that way, but now I'm going this way. And I don't know, it feels like you lied to me. How in the world could, could anybody ever come and make sense of all this mess? God, we need some hope. In fact, Advent. Advent, the word itself actually comes from the Latin word adventus, all right, which means coming or arrival. And it comes from the Greek word parousia, which means arrival or coming. But it doesn't just mean coming. The word parousia in the Greek, it actually means second coming. It actually means second coming. And so this is the idea, is that uh, since the 300s, if you actually do the history, go back. Since the 300s AD, Christians have spent the four weeks, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, the arrival of Jesus, have spent those four Sundays remembering and, and looking back in remembrance and looking ahead in hope. Right, We spend Advent looking back and remembering the first coming and spending it looking ahead to the second coming, this arrival, this hope of Emmanuel, of God with us, of God with us. So here's the clue, guys. This this tradition of Advent, you probably heard Advent before. You didn't really know what it was. Um, Cadbury ruined it for all of us because now all we think is that Advent is about like the little, little calendar with the chocolates, right? And you wanna like skip ahead. You're like, it's already Christmas. No, it's not, it's November. I ate all the chocolate in all the windows. 
But what it actually is, is that for centuries, through highs and lows, good times and bad, through persecution and peace, our spiritual ancestry, the ones who have gone before us, along with us up to today, are spending this time remembering and hoping, finding peace and longing for Emmanuel, God with us. So when you light the Christmas candles, what it is, it's almost like this Christmas countdown, right? It's this, this, this anxious anticipation for the arrival of the day. And when you get to this first candle, what it's actually called is the prophet's candle. The first, the first Sunday of Advent, lighting the first candle, is the prophet's candle. And what it is, what we're doing here today, we're remembering. The prophet's candle is called this because it symbolizes the hope of the Old Testament prophets as they waited the coming of the Messiah. So as we light the first Advent candle here today, as well as in Hamilton Mill and in Midtown, we invite you online as well to join with us and your family, maybe if you're not gonna be able to join us over the next four weeks to, to join us in this tradition. What we're doing is we're remembering. Today we're remembering the prophets and the promise of the Messiah who came. That ever since Adam and Eve bit the forbidden fruit in the garden and sin came into the world and death through that sin and chaos and confusion and disorder through that sin, all creation has groaned and waited and longed for the Messiah to come. Right, because on that day of rebellion, on the darkest of days, when it seemed like it couldn't get any worse, all hope was not lost. Because on that day, God spoke. Genesis 3.15, God speaks to the devil, God speaks to the serpent, God speaks to our enemy, and he says this, I will put enmity, hostility, between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. It's actually called the, uh, the first messianic promise. It's the first promise of a Messiah that's gonna come. Genesis 3.15, here's the idea, guys. On the day when it seemed like it couldn't get any worse, God speaks, God bellows out and says, guys, listen, I know you're, you're, there, there's separation between us and now, but here's the deal. One is going to come and he's gonna be the offspring of Eve. He's gonna be the offspring of a woman. And when he comes, he's gonna crush the devil's head and he's gonna take everything that's wrong and he's gonna make it right. And he's gonna take everything that's broken and he's gonna make it whole. And he's gonna take everything that's dead and cause it to come back alive again. Because that's what the Messiah does. And from that day forward, there was this longing for the Messiah there was this hoping, there was this groaning for the Messiah as Noah climbed into the ark and the world flooded. There's this longing for the Messiah. As the Hebrews slaved away for 400 years, there's this groaning for the Messiah. As the Philistines and all the, the foreign armies invade, there's this crying out for the Messiah. 598 BC, God takes his hand of protection off the Israelites. The Babylonians come in, they divide, they conquer, they separate families. Everybody, it's just chaos. There's this screaming for the Messiah. The Romans come in, they occupy. God, where are you? Where's the Messiah? Where's the one who's gonna come and make sense of all this mess? And as we stare at the prophet's candle today, we're reminded that there was a reason that the Messiah came. There was a reason that people were looking for the Messiah and hoping for the Messiah and longing for the Messiah. And it was because the prophets had prophesied hundreds of prophecies for thousands of years that he was gonna come. And so, of course, they're looking. In fact, there are 330 prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah. 330 prophecies. And I love this, guys. I love this. Christianity stands alone. Listen, to, to all the people who are like, oh, I'm not sure about this thing. Christianity stands alone in the world that our book has two books. There's the first book. Some of you are unfamiliar. It's a little bit bigger. Called the Old Testament. All right talking about what's to come. And then we have this space in the middle, but it's not just a period, it's 400 years. And then there's the second book, the New Testament, talking about the fulfillment of the first book. That is God's promises right here to us. 
But after Jesus, listen, after Jesus rose from the dead, he finds these two men walking on the road to Emmaus. And here's what he says to them. Genesis 24, 47, it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And I always think, man, to be a fly on the wall for that walk. Come on, the road to Emmaus, these two guys walking with Jesus for miles and he's, he's opening up. He's, he's talking about how Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, like how the, the, the author of the Pentateuch, how Moses and every single one of the prophets was talking about Jesus. Because he had to do that. Here's the idea. He had to do that because contextually, if you were born before the New Testament times, man, you kind of you went through here and you're like, all right, I thought I got it, but I don't get it. Because I thought I understood one of the messianic promises, but, I, I, but this one is like contradicting it. I don't understand. And so Jesus had to break it down. That's why even Peter says this, 1 Peter 1.10. He said, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. In other words, even the prophets, when God gave them the message and they spoke it, they were like, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. Like, imagine God gives you a word, you write it down, you're like, I don't know. I, I thought I knew, but now I don't know. Like I, and then he says, even the angels are like, I don't know. I really don't. Like, I thought I knew, but I don't know. Because the angels were like looking at all the dots that were somehow supposed to be connected. And just, I love God. He keeps some things close to the chest, right? He's not even telling the angels. The angels are like, how are you gonna make sense of all that mess? How in the world are you gonna put all that together? And they're like, I don't know, but you are. And it's gonna be awesome when you do. And so there's this, there's this longing, this groaning, this crying out in all of creation. God send the Messiah. God send the Messiah. Take the broken things and put them back together. God make sense of all this mess. And so we get the first Messianic prophecy, Genesis 3.15. It says that the Messiah is gonna be born of a woman and he's gonna crush the enemy's head. That's awesome, but here's the problem. It's really broad. Can we say it like that? Because anybody could claim to do that, right? We would be like, hey, the Messiah is gonna come and he's gonna crush the enemy's head. And like Bob's like, yeah, I did that. Yeah, I did that. Because it's so broad, right? But at least, at least we have something, we have this hope. But then we have the second messianic promise. Genesis twenty two eighteen. God tells Abraham this. He says, Abraham, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Okay, all right, now we're starting to get specific prophecy. Now now, now the prophecy is actually starting to take a line, a direction, right? Because it's not just this general someday somebody's gonna show up. No, it's the offspring of Eve down through, through, through her offspring. The women are actually gonna bear a child, but then that child line is gonna go through Abraham, through Abraham, so through Eve, through Abraham. But then comes the third messianic promise. And then now this one starts to get a little confusing. Genesis 49.10 says, the scepter will not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Wait a second, wait a second. All right, so the king's line isn't gonna depart from Judah. So we got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah. Some of you are like, I didn't know there was a fourth one. Yes, okay, Isaac had kids. All right, so Abraham, God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah. All right, so we know that the, that the king's line, all right, from Eve, who through our offspring, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah. So the Messiah's line's gonna come through Judah. But here's the problem. It says that the, the, the king's line, the scepter's not gonna pass until Shiloh comes. But here's the problem. What do you do? Like 598 BC, the Babylonians come, they destroy Israel. There's no more kings. There's no more kings after the captivity. So how is the king's line gonna continue when there's no more kings? No, this is impossible. God, you lied. You lied. That's broken. It couldn't possibly happen. But in the midst of that, we get this little word Shiloh. And Shiloh is a messianic title. So what it's saying is that the king's line isn't gonna pass from Judah until the Messiah comes to be king. All right, God, I don't get it, but okay. Now we have direction. Second Samuel 7, 10 generations later, King David comes. 
and says the Messiah will be called the son of David. Now we actually have from Eve to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, down through David, we have this direction so that we know that this Messiah is gonna come. And now we have this line that we can start watching, but then it just starts getting crazy. Uh, uh, Micah, 700 BC, 700 BC, Micah prophesies, 5-2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Awesome! So the Messiah is gonna be born in Bethlehem. That's great. Now all we gotta do is just set up camp in Bethlehem and wait, right? But then Hosea says, out of Egypt, I called my son. Wait, hold on. Wait, the the Messiah is going to be in Bethlehem and in Egypt? I don't know if you're good at geography. Those are two different places. (laughs) Very far apart from each other. And then in Matthew 2, 23, it says that the Messiah will be called a Nazarene. Means he's from Nazareth. Wait, how, how can someone be all these things? How can someone be from Bethlehem and from Egypt and from Nazareth? Oh God, you lied. No, that's broken. That could never happen. That could never happen. That's impossible. Come on. But then it gets more confusing. Psalm 2, 7, a thousand years BC. A thousand years BC. God said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Wait, whoa, hold on. Wait, whoa. The Messiah is gonna be the son of God? Wait, that, that doesn't make sense because listen, Daniel 7, 13, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with it. Wait, hold on, hold on. Now my head's starting to hurt. The Messiah is supposed to be the son of God and the son of man? And then Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call him Emmanuel. Wait, what? what? Wait, hold on, hold on. I didn't do well in health class but I'm pretty sure that's impossible. Wait, the, wait, the Messiah is gonna be son of God and son of man and born of a virgin? And then Isaiah 9, 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Wait a second, a child is born means he's human. A son is given means he already existed. Wait, he already existed before he was born? How can someone be all these things? Come on, how can, how can someone be all these things? How can someone be the son of man and the son of God? How can someone be in the line of Abraham but be older than Abraham? How can someone be born of a virgin? How can God be man and man be God? How can you exist before you're born? Oh, it's lies, it's lies. It can never happen. It can never happen. Oh, this is impossible. Okay, but I'll give you one more benefit of the doubt. All right, when the Messiah comes, he's gonna like destroy all of our enemies, right? Like everybody who's ever like looked at me nasty, he's gonna like murder them, right? Like that's what the, because that's what, he's gonna come and wipe the Romans out. Anybody who ever like looked at me with a stank eye, hell, 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 death, damnation, destruction. Isaiah 53, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. By the way, any Jewish person you know doesn't know Isaiah 53 because they don't read it in the synagogues. Surely he, the Messiah, took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Wait, the Messiah is gonna suffer? That's not what the Messiah does. The Messiah rules and reigns. And he's definitely, he's gonna suffer for us? Wait, oh, but he's gonna recover, right? He's gonna recover. Isaiah 53, nine, he had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. He was, he was buried, he's gonna die? How does the Messiah die? And he can't be buried. He can't be buried because Psalm sixteen ten says, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. You will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. 
How can someone be all these things? How can someone be all these things? If the Messiah is somehow the son of God, why would he suffer and why would he suffer for us? And if he dies, how does he not see decay? Because he got buried. In Genesis 49, it says that a lion will come from Judah. But Isaiah 53 says a lamb will be slain. How? How is it, how is it possible for the Messiah to be a slain lamb and a ruling lion? It's false. Couldn't possibly happen. God lied. God lied. And what happens is the prophets throughout the years, when you start looking at them, when you start putting it all together, it's this complete paradox. It doesn't make sense. It's a hot mess. In fact, you'll find many Jews today who just gave up on the idea of a Messiah because it's all a mess. It's all a mess. The Old Testament looks like a mess, man. It's a paradox, right? Like how can the Messiah be a conqueror and a man of peace? Come on, somebody. How can, how can the Messiah be rejected by the world and the world will bow down to him? How, how, how can he be the desire of the nations and yet have no beauty that we would be attracted to him? How can he be a suffering servant and have an everlasting kingdom? How can he do miracles yet at the same time be accused that he can't even save himself? And when you read all this, it's a complete mystery. It doesn't make sense. It's a hot mess. And what you're kind of left with at the end of the day, you're just kind of left looking at it being like, it's a lie. How in the world could all this ever come together? How in the world? The, the people are longing. The people are crying out. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, before them, Noah, Moses, the saints throughout, the, throughout history, the Old Testament prophets, they're all crying out saying, God, can you somehow make sense of all this mess? It doesn't make sense. Could God ever keep his promises? I'm not sure. Until an angel appears to a woman named Mary, a virgin, and tells her that the Holy Spirit put God in her womb. And his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. And then the government makes a census. And so Mary's family has to travel to Bethlehem. And it's there that the Messiah is born, the son of man and the son of God. A child is born, a son is given, born of a virgin. And then the wicked tyrant king of the, the local little area right there, he finds out that there's a king in his midst and so he tries to wipe him out and kill all the babies. And so Jesus' family then has to leave Bethlehem and flee to Egypt. And when things are safe finally to come back, they're like, well, where should we go? I hear there's work in Nazareth. Messiah, son is, is, is given, child is born. Bethlehem, Egypt, Nazareth. But here's the deal, none of it matters. None of it matters unless his line runs from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah. The scepter will not pass from Judah until Shiloh comes down through King David, David's son. Matthew 1, hang with me, hang with me. There's some names here. Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac was the father of Jacob and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. The scepter will not pass from Judah. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Man, oh, hold on guy. If you guys know your Old Testament history, there's some jacked up people in this list. There's some shady characters. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, prostitute, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon. Fast forward, Elihud, the father of Eliezer, Eliezer, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. 
and there is only one. Come on, guys, there is only one who checks all the boxes. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, Lord and Savior, checks every single one of the boxes, the prophecies fulfilled, thousands, 330 prophecies spread out over thousands of years. The Old Testament prophecies seem to be a complete mess until you look at Jesus. Until you look at Jesus. And then in Jesus Christ, order comes to the chaos. Come on, hey, um, peace comes to the storm. A plan comes to the madness. Everything that's out of focus and scattered comes into laser beam focus because Jesus, check, 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 did it, did it, did it, did it, did it. All of God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. He does countless miracles, yet when he's hanging on the cross, he refuses to save himself because it was the chastisement that brought us peace was laid upon him and he refused to save himself or else we would have been lost. He could have died, he died a criminal's death. He was buried in a grave, but God got him out three days later because he wouldn't let his holy one see decay. He crushed the devil's head. He rose again, took the keys of death, hell and the grave, resurrected, ascended, sitting at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And now he is the one who fulfilled the promise that through Abraham, all the nations would be blessed. And he was slain as a lamb, but now he's ruling as a lion. This is our God. This is Jesus Christ. Check, 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 check. And to all those who had been crying out, where's the one who's gonna come and make sense of all this mess? The answer, the answer to all the questions was found in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Jesus Christ, all of God's promises are fulfilled through him. Hundreds of prophecies spread over thousands of years find a resounding yes and amen in Jesus Christ. That first Christmas was the fulfillment of thousands of years of prophecy. And I, here's what I want us to understand. Here's what we have to know, guys. Jesus did not just appear in a manger in Bethlehem. People weren't like, I didn't even see that coming. 330 prophecies spread across thousands of years. Jesus was prophesied. Jesus was promised. Jesus was prayed for. Jesus was fasted for. Jesus was cried out for. God, would you come? God, would you take the broken pieces and make them whole again? God, could you somehow come and make sense of all the mess? And then Jesus comes. Check, 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 check. And as I look, at all those promises, all those prophecies, spanning 2,000 plus years. And as I soak them all in, it gives me hope today. It gives me hope today because before Adam and Eve ever sinned, God had a plan to save them. Jesus was not God's plan B. Jesus was God's plan from the very beginning. From the very beginning. Revelation says he's the lamb slain since the foundation of the world. Peter says this, I love how the message says it because I always see him saying it like with a little bit of attitude. First Peter 1.18, it cost God plenty to get you out of that dead end, empty headed life you grew up in. Mm -hmm. He paid with Christ's sacred blood, you know. He died like an unblemished sacrificial lamb. Get this, and this was no afterthought. Even though it has only lately at the end of the ages become public knowledge, God always knew he was going to do this for you. <laughs> it's because of this sacrifice Messiah whom God then raised from the dead and glorified that you trust God, that you know you have a future in God. And what this means is this, guys is that when everything was broken, when everything was scattered, when everything was chaotic, when everybody was crying out, God, could you ever come and make sense of all this mess? God had a plan. God was working, God was moving. 
When Adam and Eve had to leave and God wrapped them with skins of the first thing that ever died, God had a plan. When sin filled the world and God destroyed it with a flood, saved Noah, God had a plan. When the Hebrews were in slavery for 400 years, God had a plan. God was working in a direction. God had a plan to send the Messiah to come and put all the broken pieces back together again to cause the dead things to come back to life again, to take everything that was wrong and make it right again. The Messiah was coming and verse by verse and step by step and promise by promise and prophecy by prophecy and week by week and month by month and year by year and decade by decade and generation by generation. God was moving, God was telling a story. God was slowly but surely coming to the fulfillment of his promise in Matthew. God had a prophetic plan to fulfill every single promise that he had ever made. At no point was the story ever out of control. At no point was God up in heaven like, oh no, oh, I didn't see that one coming. Oh, I'm not sure. Because I had this thing like A to B to C to D all the way to Z and now like F and G like went haywire. Well, I'm not gonna, I can't put those pieces back together again. No, God had a plan. God saw the end from the beginning and he wove a plan in the midst of that thing to fulfill every single one of his promises. And here's the good news, guys. The same God has a plan for you and for me. This is the same God. At no point has your story been out of control. Listen, your life might've gone haywire. Your spouse may have gone off the rails. Your kids may be going crazy. The dream job may have turned out to be a dead end. Maybe somebody that you love has passed away. Maybe you said, God said, I'm gonna go this way and now I'm going this way. It doesn't make sense. How could I ever get back to where God said, how in the world? God, there's so much chaos. God, it doesn't make sense. God, there's so much chaos confusion in the world. God, me and my best friends, the whole racial thing, political thing, we're not even talking anymore. Oh God, it looks like our country's going to hell. Oh God, it looks like my life is going to hell. What in the world? As I look at Jesus' genealogy in Matthew 1, I see prostitutes and I see I see sex addicts. I see sexual victims. I see idolaters. I see murderers. And what it shows me is this, is that even in the mess, even in sin, even in brokenness, even in chaos, God can somehow put it all together to fulfill every promise that he has ever made you. So take heart today that God is not through with you yet. God is not through with you yet. The promises he made to you, he will fulfill to you because he is not a man that he should lie. And the same God who made prophetic promises in the mess of the world back then is still making prophetic promises in the mess of this world today. And he's the one who takes all of our, could this year turn around for me? And oh God, could you actually ever fulfill the promises to me? God, could those plans ever materialize? Could you ever make sense in all this mess? What we're doing today is we're standing with the prophets of old who looked ahead, the coming of the Messiah and the hope that's found in Christ alone and saying he is the answer to every single promise. And guys, here's, the, here's, here's what we have to understand is we have the gift of 2020 hindsight, don't we? Come on, we're reading this. We're reading this. Do you read this? We're reading this. <laughs> you ever read the stories and you're like, guys, why are you freaking out? It's gonna be okay. It's because you know the rest of the story. It's because you read ahead. You read ahead. You, you ever see like the, you know, the, the, the Israelites in slavery and they're like crying out and they're like, guys, guys, it's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. And then, and then when they get set free from slavery and they're wandering in the wilderness and they get up to the promised land and the 12 spies go out and then they all come back and 10 of them are like, no, we can't do it. And the other two are like, yeah, we can do it. You're like, guys, guys, listen to Joshua and Caleb. Listen, listen to the two because I read ahead. And they're like, no, 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 no. We're like this big. And they're like, we're like grasshoppers and they're like giants and they got big spears and all we got is like a stick. Bob's got a rubber band. I don't know what we're gonna do. Like, and you're like, no, it's gonna be okay. You can do it. 
right? And the prophets are crying out and they're like, guys, repent of your sin, repent of your sin. And you're like, please, repent of your sin in 10 pages. In 10 pages, it's gonna get bad. We have the gift of 2020 hindsight to be able to look back and say, why are you freaking out? Why are you so worried? Do you not think that God will keep every single one of his promises? Could it be that the day will come one week, two weeks, three weeks, a month, six months, a year, a decade from now, when we are the ones who are to come, we'll look back and say, 2020, why are you freaking out? Don't you know that the same God who kept every single promise that he has ever made will keep every single promise that he has ever made? Why are you a little faith? Why do you doubt it? We have story after story after story after story of how God took the broken situations that were completely impossible and proved that what's impossible with man is possible with God. Don't you believe it, 2020? Don't you believe it, 2020, that the God who fulfilled his promises in seemingly impossible situations is still the God who fulfills his promises in seemingly impossible situations? He's the same God. And he keeps his promises. Philippians 1.6, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. You understand that that's a promise to you. That God isn't through with you yet. Mark 11, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. That's God's promise to you. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise to you. John 8, so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That is God's promise to you. James 5, 14 and 15, are there any sick among you? Then ask the elders of the church to come and pray over the sick and anoint them with oil in the name of our Lord and the prayer of faith will heal the sick and the Lord will raise them up. Up. That is God's promise to you. And our circumstances do not negate God's promises. In Isaiah 26, three, you will keep in perfect peace one whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in Adonai forever for the Lord Adonai is the rock of ages. He's the rock of ages. In other words, from age to age, from generation to generation, from people to people. He is the solid rock that we can build our life on. And when I trust in him and when I build my life on that rock, the storms of this life, the storms of this world will come and they will go. But if I'm built on the rock of ages, I'll still be found standing. And I can have perfect peace because I trust in him. So maybe, maybe, Maybe we do need a little Christmas right now. But maybe what we need isn't so much the lights and the candy canes and those terrible Hallmark movies. <laughs> maybe what we actually need is the hope that the God who fulfilled his impossible promise that first Christmas it's the same God who's gonna fulfill his impossible promise this Christmas and every Christmas. And so if you ever find yourself doubting that God keeps his promises despite impossible situations, then what I want you to do every Christmas time is I want you to look at that nativity in the manger with the star over the top and I want you to see that little baby who did not materialize out of nowhere. He, Emmanuel, God with us, was the fulfillment, checked the boxes of all of God's promises. And the great God who makes great promises is still keeping his promises today. Take heart, take hope, because our God is live. He is the slain lamb. He's roaring like a lion. In Jesus' name.
Let's, uh, let's bow our heads and let's talk to that God. God, we love you so much. God, thank you that you started the story. And here, here's, here's the truth. It's that God, a lot of us are struggling today. A lot of us are lonely today. A lot of us are hurting today. A lot of us are looking at the broken pieces like, like shattered pottery. And saying, God, I thought you said this would be whole. God, how in the world are you going to put this together? I thought you didn't break your promises. But Father, I thank you that what's impossible with man is possible with God. I thank you, God, that every promise you've made, you will fulfill it, you will keep it, because you are not a man that you should lie. Thank you that you are the promise keeper. We may have grown up with a mom or a dad who broke their promises to us, but God, you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us, you'll never turn your back on us. Your gaze, your affection, your eyes, your focus is towards your people. So we bask in that and we receive that today. And here's what I love. Here's what I love, guys. Is that even before Adam and Eve sinned, in distance, gap was there between them and God. God knew they were going to sin. And he told the story anyway. <laughs> that says so much about the heart of our God. That Adam and Eve's sin did not surprise God. But God pursued them anyways. And let me just tell you today, your sin in the midnight hour does not surprise God either. He sees it all. He saw the end from the beginning. He has this different perspective on it. <laughs> he can see it all. And he still pursues us anyways. That's the heart of our God. And when Jesus went to the cross, he fulfilled this promise of the new covenant that the way that we're made right with God is not based on our good works or any sort of sacrifice in a temple somewhere. It's by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ alone. It's another check in the box that Jesus made to fulfill every promise. And now we're made right with God by Jesus Christ alone and by faith and trust in him. And if we confess our sins to him, then he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And let me tell you guys, he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. <laughs> and so I want to extend that invitation to you today. There are many people here in Hamilton Mill, Midtown, across our campuses and online as well, who've already embraced these promises in Jesus Christ. There's some of us today, we need to step into that. We need to say, I'm, I'm receiving, I'm believing these promises. Prophesied 700, 400, 700, 1,000, 2,000 years before Jesus was even born, down to the detail of what he would fulfill, and he checked the boxes. And so I want to invite you into this today. And here, here's what I want us to do, okay? All across this building, some of you would say, I'm coming to Jesus for the first time. Others of us in here say, I've been saved for 30 years. But today, here's what I want us to do. If, you've been a, if you came in here a Christian or today you're saying I'm becoming one, I want you to stretch your hands up to heaven and say, God, I'm grabbing a hold of your promises afresh today, this Christmas. So we begin this Christmas season of Advent. I'm grabbing a hold of your promises and let's pray like this. Say, Jesus, thank you that you checked the boxes. <laughs> you fulfilled the prophecies. You are God's promise. The promise has a name. And his name is Jesus. You are the son of God, died for my sin, and you rose again. And today, I receive that promise. I believe that promise. And in response, I repent of my sin, and I leave my way to go your way for the rest of my life. You are my king, and you are my savior. You have my past, my present, my future, I trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hey, let's do this. Uh, here, as well as our campuses, Hamilton Mill, Midtown, let's all stand up to our feet. If you're, avail if you're able to online, why don't you stand up to your feet as well?
And what we're gonna do, we're gonna, we're gonna worship here before we close, okay? And this is a song that many of you have not heard before. But it's a song that I think expresses what many of us walked in here believing or feeling. But here's what I wanna say. I, I, I found myself sitting down with my sons this last week, and I think it was John 4. We were, we were reading John 4 about the woman at the well. And how that story goes is essentially this. This woman meets Jesus. Her life gets changed. She runs back into the town and says, come meet this man who told me everything I ever did. And the the town comes out and Jesus spends two days with the town. And then we catch this really interesting phrase. It says this. They said, at first we believed because of what the woman said. But after spending time with you, we now believe because of what you said. And what I believe is this. There's a difference in hearing somebody talk about it, kind of saying, yeah, 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 and actually receiving it and making it your own. And so that's what I want us to do here over the next few minutes. Okay, you've just heard me preach, okay? It's very easy. You're gonna walk out this door and you could just leave it all here. But I'm gonna invite you to make this your own. So let's do this. Let's pray one more final prayer and then we're gonna worship together. God, today we worship you through thick and thin. God, through good times and bad times, through persecution and peace. God, we say that you are the rock of ages (laughs) and you will give perfect peace to the one who trusted you. So God, here's what we say. We take a look at our life. We take a look at what's happening in the world around us and it seems chaotic, it seems disordered. But here's what we do in this moment. We don't just listen to a sermon. What we actually say is from our heart of hearts, from the deepest places inside us to say, God, I trust you. And even when it doesn't make sense, I trust you. So God, give me perfect peace today as I trust you. (laughs) You are the rock of ages. You don't cast a shifting shadow. You don't change. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God endures forever. And I believe that every promise you have made to me, you will keep it because you are not a man that you should lie. And so I invite you today, come reveal yourself to me. I trust you, I trust you, I trust you. Just say it, come on, across all of our campuses, say it, Midtown, say it. Hamilton Mill, say it, say I trust you. I trust you, I trust you, I trust you, I trust you. Now let's worship like we actually do. Amen. Amen. Amen.